This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Anthony Jeannot. Anthony is a stand-up comedian and host of Highbrow Dribble. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Roman. I'm looking forward to it. My pleasure. Thanks for coming on. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Okay, so I'll start at like 21, 22, when I, I kind of graduated out of uni and I started my first job. And I think it's one of those things about, I guess, being a, a Gen Y millennial sort of thing is kind of your whole life up until that point is you have to work hard, but also you're special, right? And then you get into the workforce and nobody gives a crap. And all of a sudden you're just... To, to be fair, like you are just another worker in the team, but you're not used to being treated like that, particularly if you had any kind of academic talent or whatever. And particularly me, I grew up in like a, a super low socioeconomic area where my school was kind of a, a dirtbag school that everybody got kicked out. They ended up at my school, right? And I had half a degree of, of being not too bad at school. And so it was wild, the kind of journey they let me go on in that in, in year 11, like one before you graduate into university, they made a deal with me that I didn't need to go to maths class if I studied by myself because it was too disruptive if I was there. And they didn't want me to leave the school because everybody dropped out in, in year 10 at my school. They didn't want me to leave the school because they thought if I got a good like um, ATAR score, which is how they judge you at university, that gets published and that's how parents decide where to send their kids so kind of before I was a fully grown adult with, with complete consequences understanding of my consequences they got they're going hey you know you are special enough that you can act like an absolute a-hole and ruin the education of your classmates so long as you don't leave and so you go from that environment into a workforce where they don't care and you know if you do your job really well, great. That's what we paid you to do, you know? And I just didn't know how to handle it. And I, I was so scared that I, the, the lack of positive feedback meant that I was doing a bad job, that I found a new job where they, because I, I was scared they were going to fire me. So I was like, you know what? Rather than get fired, I'll find a new job. And then I did that again, and then I did that again, and then I did it six times in five months. So my first six jobs, I left in less than a month, just because it was easier for me to find a new job than it was for me to settle in. And um, I was talking to a friend and they said, dude, I don't think that's normal behavior. You should talk to a therapist. I think there's some kind of underlying mental health thing at work here. And I got told I had social anxiety, which was completely bonkers to me because I was like a really socially outgoing kid. I was, I was a stand-up comic for God's sake, you know what I mean? Like I was getting on stage and being like, hey, here are my stories. Here's all why I think I'm cool. I, I, I thought I was so important that I made the room dark and gave myself a microphone and told everybody to shut up. And then there's this 
psychologist going, no, but you've got, um, you've got social anxiety. And so I did a hell of a lot of work over a few years and, and some of it kind of test and learn. And so I'd, I'd kind of look at something on the internet and they'd be like, you know, magic mushrooms might be good for anxiety. And so I'd go take some magic mushrooms and then I'd write a journal. And then obviously I wouldn't tell my therapist, hey, I took some magic mushrooms and this is what I thought. But I'd be like, oh, here's some things I've been thinking about. And I'd talk to my therapist about that. Um, and then I got to a place where I thought I, I was, was in a good place and, you know, my job was steady. I was, I was like, creative lead at a at a advertising agency I've been in a relationship for 10 years my comedy was going well I was I was you know growing to a point and then what I would do one of the one of the many kind of little anxiety management techniques I'd have is that rather than thinking long term with my goals all I would do is last year in comedy and relationships and in all the things that I thought was important I'd, I'd write down what my biggest achievement was and then for the next year I'd say what's one step better that's it. Like, and then I got to a point where it, in terms of what I could control and in terms of how I could improve the situation, I really started to struggle to see what one step better was that I could, that was within my control. Like at my advertising agency, I was, you know, I was just turned 30. I was the creative lead of my team. The only step up, there was one creative director and he was in his forties. It's not like, you know, the, the, the path up is, is necessarily that quick my relationship was in a bad place and in Australian comedy there's maybe five people who can make a living you know what I mean so um I was doing professional gigs I was getting good reviews at the the, the festivals I was making money at the festivals but it was never like I could have done that for 10 years nothing might have changed and so I um I left my girlfriend I left my job which is the first job I'd ever kind of spent a long time at and everybody I know and love. And I moved to London where I've been living for the last four years um, and kind of started all over again. And I mean, it's, it's, it ended up working out well. Like um, my comedies continued to grow and improve as, as a result of having to work harder to prove yourself again. I went, on, I went on a bunch, way too many dates, like 52 in nine months. Um, but in that, I met my wife and we're super happy married now. It's sort of, we've been married, I think nearly three years now. And now I am the head of marketing at a global sort of consultancy. Um, so senior leadership team and, you know, all the things that I, I, I could have taken me 10 years if I had stayed in Australia, they've kind of happened in three or four since I, I moved here. So it's all worked out. Yeah, I think there's always kind of a plan to that. And I guess like in school, it's, um, it's, it's interesting, even I guess in the US where like you said, everybody tells you like you're special. And then in sports, like you get a participation trophy. And then I feel like that doesn't do a good job to prepare you for real life. It's like coddling and then you get like hit a wall. And it's like, you can't cope. I feel like, well, I mean, I'm 36. So I'm like a, like an older millennial. Uh, and I was still like, you know, raised where it's like politically incorrect. Like, you know, you suck or get better whatever. Not necessarily like, oh, it's okay. You're the best. And like, if everybody told, like you said, if everybody was told they're the best, they get to a certain point in their life, in the real world, 
you can't all be the best. You know what I mean? So it's, it, I feel like, like coping me- mechanisms in terms of like how kids are raised and what they're kind of, uh, you know, positioned in school. It's like creating situations also kind of like anxiety situations because they were never taught, uh, you know, how to kind of self manage, self soothe and to like be self-aware, really be self-aware because I mean, there's people walking out around like I'm the best so-and-so, but like, you're not like, there's something you are good at and focusing on that and figuring out if that's what you want to do and pursue and even improve on. But like, I mean, I don't know. It's maybe it's just me. Do do you know what? So I I actually have a a pretty self-contained stand-up joke, although it's been like 12 months since I've been on stage. So I may misremember it, but the the thing I find ridiculous about this whole, you are special, you can be anything you want to be in life is like, there's so much bullshit in that. Because one, your parents didn't live their dream jobs. Like 90% of your parents are doing real-time jobs. You wouldn't have picked that, you liars. But also I think the real problem with it is that makes people so focused on what they want and as you said with no awareness as to whether it's achievable or useful right and so off the back of telling kids for generations you can be whatever you want in life you can be whatever you want in life what we have is in most first world countries a situation where there are shortages of nurses and teachers and way too many fucking DJs and Instagram influencers who are like follow my shit buy my shit The world doesn't need you guys, you know, you actually, it's one thing, self-awareness is the exact thing about it, right? It's one thing to want to do something. Are you, are people wanting that from you? Will they accept that from you? Are you the best person to be doing that job? Um, And if we actually started to think about that in those terms, you know, because people for all our evolution and everything we've done people are still pretty stupid right whatever you are good at you will convince yourself that's important so encourage people to find what they're good at and let them convince themselves that's important as opposed to encourage them to find what they enjoy and then figure out that they're shit at it yeah i mean it's being realistic with yourself and and being honest it's one of those things like maybe you're an adult and you're five foot tall and you have a dream to be in the nba there are a few people like you know five 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 four that have made it but they're also great shooters great at defense have amazing verticals that at five foot two they can dunk if you don't possess any of those skills and you can't inherently you know, get to that level. It's just one of those things being realistic with yourself. And I mean, I feel like it's one of those things, even, even though, like you mentioned, you went through like six jobs in six months. I think you learned something from each of that. You learned what you wanted to do and not want to do and kind of failed quickly in a sense, even though maybe it was tied to that anxiety. I feel like when people are younger and they get out of school, they have the opportunity because they don't necessarily have a lot of uh, people to take care of. They don't necessarily have a wife or kids to, you know, be the the breadwinner for, or like a lot more responsibilities that you may get uh, later in life. So I feel like when you're in that kind of sweet spot right out of school, you know, you may want to try something out of the box that may be something not even relevant to what you went to school for and do that. Take enough time to see if, if it's something you have potential in. If it fails, it fails. It's truly not a failure if you learn something from it and then can take it and apply it somewhere else. I think 
anybody who has access to the funds to do so between their high school and their tertiary education should go and move and live somewhere else because there is something about being so far away from your safety zone and your comfort and you know that there is no the, the option of moving back home with mum and dad is a lot more complicated when you're halfway around the world that really forces you to go okay I'm not holding out for dream a job I'm not you know it really forces you to put yourself out there and figure do things that you wouldn't have done under the safety of of um the people you know and love so I I think you know, there's so much to be learned by, like, for, for me, coming to the UK was cool because I got access to Europe and stuff like that. But if you can't, if, if that's financially hard, there are so many English speaking countries with where, where, you know, the US dollar or the, the UK pound or whatever goes a lot further, you can give yourself enough time to set yourself up, but you know, you've got a deadline, because if you don't make it work by the time that money runs out, then you've wasted your time you've said goodbye to everyone yeah now nah, i'm going out to see the world and then you're going to come back two months later people are like oh i didn't even know you were gone like you really got to make it work so i think there's, there's really something to be said for that yeah i think it's like you said i think it's getting out of your comfort zone and not having a a safety net to depend on because you know if you're like you said on the other side of the world you have a problem can't necessarily call your mom and dad to bail you out. You got to figure out. And I mean, it's learn. you, you know, you get a, you build up a empathy and emotional IQ based on experiences. And I think that's important. And for me, what I valued, I I've traveled a lot, like, you know, obviously because of COVID not, not in the last like year and a half, two years, but even when I was growing up, like younger in college and stuff like that, I would spend, uh, you know, whole summers like in Europe or back in Ukraine where I was from and it's one of those things where it also gives you perspective. You see how other people are living, you know, what's important to them. And it helps you appreciate things a lot more too. So it's like, I'm not staying. I mean, I guess I could in like five-star hotels, but I'm staying in like regular neighborhoods, you know, uh, going in and eating in people's houses, communing, really understanding like what life is about for them and what's important to, for them. And then when I get back to the U S it puts things into perspective of what I have and what I appreciate. Yeah, and also in terms of that perspective, like your own cultural blindness is really interesting, right? Like British people, I've been living here for four years, they don't realise when they're being passive aggressive because everybody is passive aggressive here. So that's just normal. If someone's like, they don't realise that to somebody else that feels that way. Um, Australians love to talk about how oh, we're a laid back culture. It's not laid back. We're overly informal like we'll meet somebody and break the touch barrier within a couple moments and that's not laid back that is like intrusive to some people but we don't realize that you know and every culture has things that are baked in that just the normal expected way of behaving is slightly off just to what people would expect in a way that means it reads different and unless you actually go and, as you said get under the skin of a place stay in normal places eat with normal people not the tourist experience, but actually hang out with them and see the way their behavior differs to yours and yours to theirs. You're never going to realize it's like, you know, it's like when you go on holiday and you come back and you realize for the first time how your house smells. There is that for your behavior too. And I think it's really good to be aware. It's not like you change it. Like I'm not here going, oh no, I need to be more formal because the British are going to think I'm informal. No, but it's just like at least being aware that if someone is uncomfortable by it, 
it's not their fault. Like th there are just slight differences that they're picking up on. Yeah, I agree. So what motivates you to succeed? Obviously those motivations may have changed over time and circumstances, but what currently motivates you to succeed? That's a great question. And I, <laughs> I think there's two parts to it. One is still, I think some of that old like juvenile narcissism, I was told I was special and I'm gonna damn well make sure I am. Um, so there is a part of that. And then there is another part that I think is connected to, to that social anxiety, which is just pure fear. It's kind of feeling a bit like a shark, you know, if I stop swimming, I'll drown. Um, so there is, is that, that's another kind of part of the, the cocktail of motivation. And then I think the third is like in, in anything that I enjoy and anything that I do well, there is a real kind of um, thread through it that is that, I love kind of being in conversations or being in a communication mix where you can kind of compare notes with people and like, oh, this is what the world is like for me. Is it for you? Oh, cool. And so the better I am at stand-up, the bigger those rooms of people are. And so the bigger the kind of, to, to make it boring and scientific as all hell, the bigger the data set I'm getting of like, do these stories connect with, 500 people, 50 people, 700 people, like, are they, are these things that I think are funny, funny to them? How do they react when I tell them that story? Um, and then from a marketing perspective, there is still that kind of, it's a little bit more manipulative and it's a little bit more for gain, but there is still that kind of like, if I say that like that, can I get you to do the thing that I want? And then I get the data back because, you know, we all live in a surveillance society now. So I get the data back and I go, oh, they did what I expected. Cool. Now what if I do that? And, and so there is kind of being a little bit of a tinkerer of communication. Just like if I say that, what happens there? And I think my fascination with people and storytelling and understanding what, what motivates and drives and connects people really um, at my best, that's kind of where the energy is coming from. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, I think it, the, the comedy and the marketing obviously interact because it's psychology. So you want to find what's relatable and what like resonates with people in terms of getting them to laugh and obviously like connecting like as a whole audience. And then with marketing, you have to figure out what makes people tick to take a desired action. So, I mean, that's there. And I think that that well, I got out of, I got into digital marketing out of necessity. So there's that. But then I kind of fell in love with it. And my former kind of direction was uh, criminal justice. I went to school for that and interned with the Secret Service. So that like psychology, you know, how can, not, like you said, not manipulate people, but really deliver what they're looking for and, and help them better understand and make that, you know, desired decision. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it, right? Because uh, to some extent, you can't force somebody to do what they don't want to, but you can package it just right. Yeah, I think that, that's, that's a perfect explanation of it. So what's one weakness you may have seen in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today? Dude, I would say it's that anxious energy. It's that little voice in the back of my head that goes, eh, I don't think you don't think you're doing too right. I, I, I think like, I feel like I am almost world champion level at having something good happen. And then finding out all of the things that could go wrong the minute it happens before I ever get a chance to enjoy it, right? Like it, it is bizarre how quick that turnaround is for me. But one of 
the cool things about having that overactive voice in the back of your head, particularly from a comedic standpoint, is actually it's not that uncommon. And it works on two levels, right? Because if I if I tell a joke from a super anxious, like, oh, what is going on here place, the people who experience life like that, they're going, I know what that feels like. This guy, he's, he's nailed it. That is exactly what that feels like. And anybody who doesn't get it, they're like, look at this idiot, as if life is like that. So it kind of, it's a free hit because for some people it's ridiculous and funny and for other people's, it's like, oh, that is kind of what life is like for them. Um, and so everything I do on stage is kind of channeled through that kind of anxious energy to the point where I don't write my jokes on paper anymore. I find if I do that, it's quite sterile. So what I'll do is I'll get on stage, I'll have the idea and I'll have roughly why it's funny. And then I'll get on stage and hope that I panic myself into the punchline while I'm on stage. So whenever I'm telling a joke, like for the first time, the audience and me, we're finding out whether that's funny at the exact same time, right? Um, but I find that the comedy is better from that place because that's kind of where I'm at my funniest because that's where my sense of humor probably developed, right? Like just trying to make people feel better about all this stuff that I'm anxious about and then filtering that out into a group situation going, boo, boo, isn't that funny, you guys, we can all relax. While really in the back of my head, I'm going, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Yeah, it's it's interesting in that sense. And I think uh, I have this weird thing. I have to like get to the bottom of it. Like you said that, you know, when something like happens or you achieve something or something good happens, you start kind of like second guessing it or figuring out or like running through your head all the things that can go wrong. I do that before making a decision. And usually I end up like why I, I have to force myself through it because my, my, me, myself, personally, I keep telling myself it's not going to succeed. Well, you know, if it doesn't succeed, you're going to lose this amount of money, this amount of time. You're going to have this person mad at you, that person mad at you. And it's like, I don't know, like before I even make a decision, it's just like pessimistic, I guess, direction where like I've always had this kind of mindset that I have to like take an extra step and then step back a little bit to be self-aware that I'm doing it and then take that leap. And then I would say 99% of the things in that situation that I've undergone were actually like beneficial and were really positive in, in that, I guess, newness and in that like chaotic, well, my mind was chaotic at that point because it was like, you know, scatterbrain. Why am I doing this? Like I was, you know, comfortable. What are you doing? And then when that actually happened, like that's where like the biggest, uh, you know, advancement and, and, you know, goal reaching happen. That is a hundred percent correct. And all of that like rings so true with me, right? That whole, every decision going through all the things that can go wrong. It is ridiculous how many times in my own mind, everything ends up with me being homeless. Like everything, because one thing goes wrong, the next thing goes wrong. And, and, and again, going right back to like when you're at high school and the way that education is a bit, manipulative of kids is like some of the pressure they give you to, to get the right grades to go to the right university like in my head even from that age I'm like if I don't pick the right course at 18 if I don't pick the right course right now today well then I I won't be good at the job and then da 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 da, -da homeless right <laughs> and as a 34 year old now it's like oh my god at every step of the way you can pivot you can change you can adapt um so that's one side of it but then as you said the, the other side of that is like that chaotic energy, that those things that really push you to be like, to doubt 
themselves because they're not comfortable, they're not what you expect. That's where all the good growth happens. And particularly, like the more nervous you are as a person, the, the more you really need to get out of that. And I think that's kind of been one of the ways that it has really helped me is that my baseline on a normal day is kind of like anything could go wrong and probably will. And so that as, as I've really forced myself to just sit with that and be like, no, because that's been wrong every other time. Why would it be right today? The more you just get used to in those big moments, feeling less overwhelmed by it because that's just, you know, that's the voice that was there yesterday. It'll be there tomorrow. Yeah, I agree. So what's one piece of advice you can leave with the audience, personal or professional? I think both. I, I, I really think this is a, a piece of advice that I wish I had got younger, which is if you can find the things in yourself that you enjoy the most and that you you think you're best at and 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 as, as we kind of said earlier, don't just pick anything out of the air because it seems nice. Actually do it and see if it feels right for you and if the world is responding to that from you. Once you figure out what that thing is, don't kind of change it in the hope that people will let you show it off later, right? Like I, I'm a quite creative person, a little bit chaotic and, and kind of this kind of nervous energy guy, right? And some of the, the stuff with early jobs and, and not fitting in was me feeling like I had to be super professional. Oh my God, yes, sir, no, sir, thank you very much, sir. And I don't think I would ever succeed in that environment. So what works better is to fail quickly because if it's not right for you, it's not right for them, find somewhere that is. But again, do so by learning from the things, test, learn, iterate, get better. But if, if you genuinely, genuinely are trying things and the world is saying, the people around you are saying, yes, we like this, then do that, right? Don't, don't, don't try and do a version of that that is vanilla and softer because you're worried that people can't handle it or whatever, because, you know, the, it, the world is a big place. There's 7 billion people. There's a bunch of jobs. There's a bunch of companies. And most of them, if you're good enough at what you do, will accept fringe cases that are not exactly what they expected or wanted. Yep. Or worst case, you can start your own company and be, be your own boss and you don't have to even worry about that. But yeah, you know, not worrying about other people, but coming to the realization, obviously what you're good at or what your strengths are running with them. And maybe like you said before, there's, I believe majority of the world are in jobs that are in their dream jobs. They have to pay bills. And a lot of people make it seem like in, you know, motivational and inspirational space, you know, chase your dreams. You're going to have your dream job that aligns. You're going to wake up happy. I mean, based on the number of jobs and what you want to do and what the market for certain things is, that's not necessarily, you know, valid. I mean, you have to be realistic. You can still enjoy. I mean, if you're in a role that you don't enjoy having hobbies, having your family and friends that kind of complement that and you get kind of your joy in other parts, but you know, this is just, you know, maybe just a job to pay the bills. It may be a stepping stone in things, but 
also being aware with that because I mean, somebody can like have a dream about, you know, chasing butterflies and catching every single butterfly species in the world. You know what I mean? Which actually could be, you could probably monetize that and, you know, have a blog and have some kind of like a travel type situation like around the world. But is that really going to feed you? Or like you said, are you going to be hopeless doing that? Dude, my my friend, this is genuinely a true story and it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I still remember the day that one of my friends who is, I would say, a less attractive man than me, which puts him in a whole low category of, of um, what his uh, what sexual currency is on the marketplace, right? And I remember him coming to me and saying, hey, I've, I've started this course. I'm going to be an Instagram influencer. And I was like, dude, I don't know if you've seen what they look like, but they don't look like you, man. Like you are not an Instagram influencer. And he literally said to me, no, I need to figure out a way to make this work because I know what I want to do with my life. I just love taking photos of things. And I was like, motherfucker, be a photographer. You absolute idiot. So I do think, Again, paying attention, maybe where your skills lie, there are other ways you can apply them that aren't the way that is as glamorous as you had hoped. Yeah, I mean, I have a thing about words like uh, influencer or guru or people that use like digital profit. Usually when you give titles like that to yourself, you're not necessarily that same thing. And, you know, influence is influence. I mean, having some kind of credibility behind you, having wisdom, having life experiences that give value to others in a specific part of, you know, life. I think that's what, you know, is needed in the world. There's plenty of people that take pictures out there, like you said, but if you become like a specific type of photographer or you create this, you know, new style of photography or like new method or whatever, like that's what resonates and that's what like will stick and you'll be known for that in an industry and not necessarily to, you know, people on a social media platform that are somewhat superficial and looking at things that have filters on them. So. Exactly. Be the butterfly guy. Yeah. I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? Yeah. So, uh, Anthony, Juno.com, uh, J E A W N O T is the spelling of the last name. It's a website with, links to my comedy, my podcast, and a couple other things. Alternatively, uh, if you want to check out my podcast, it's Highbrow Drivel, www.highbrowdrivel.com. Um, I, on that, every week, I invite one of my comedian mates to interview a different academic. So the idea is that we, we can have some banter, but then get to the bottom of whatever the academic's field of speciality is. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Cheers, Roman. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.